0: Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBS pod is for you. Episode 26, Baby Loss Awareness Week, 2020. For the most part, maternity is a happy specialty we look after a more youthful population than the rest of the hospital and a more healthy one too. There's the expectation of new life and a positive life-changing event. But let's not forget there is loss too. I think as a society, it's a bit of a taboo subject. We face up to birth, marriage, divorce and death Death of older people or people from cancer is becoming slowly more openly discussed. But the death of a baby, I still feel that shrouded in secrecy. Women who've experienced the death of their baby have told me about people crossing the road to avoid talking to them or of not looking them in the eye in the school playground. Their baby unacknowledged erased from existence. I think this is partly due to fear. We don't know what to say or do, so we do nothing. There's an uncomfortable silence. Yet on the flip side of that, I've had women tell me that until their baby died, they didn't know anyone that it had ever happened to. But that after their baby died, family, friends, neighbors had come forward. And told them of their own loss, acknowledging them openly for the first time. I'm doing this episode because this week is Baby Loss Awareness Week. So let's talk some statistics for a moment. In the UK, the stillbirth rate is 4.1 per thousand. Stillbirth being a baby that dies before birth, dies in the womb. And then there are neonatal deaths, 2.8 per 1,000 live births. So that's a baby that's born alive but dies in the first 28 days. So if you look at the UK, one in 150 babies died before four weeks of age. That's 4,500 babies a year, families living with loss. Perhaps we don't talk about it because we don't want to frighten pregnant women. Perhaps we don't talk about it because the overall numbers are small. But for an average maternity unit, we will have a couple a month. And is loss in itself the right word? Yes, it's Baby Loss Awareness Week. That perhaps makes it slightly more palatable. But I've had families say, my baby isn't lost. I know exactly where my baby is. Why do we shy away from saying a baby died? Some women describe their baby as being born sleeping. Is that a better terminology? At this point, I'd like to reassure you all that there's an enormous amount of work going into trying to improve these statistics, both nationally at the level of government and NHS initiatives, but also through improvement work run by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists in conjunction with the Royal College of Midwives. Each baby counts. Trying to bring themes and national learning, because if we have a couple a month, then it's difficult to learn the lessons. If every maternity unit has that rate and you bring them all together, there are key themes that one can learn. So what's it like as an obstetrician? When a midwife can't find a heartbeat, you go heart in mouth with the scanner in hand, hoping against the worst. Sometimes you can quickly heave a sigh of relief and see the heart beating away. But sometimes you can't. It's the worst moment in my job when you have to tell a woman her baby has died. You scan and you look at the views of the heart. You check. You check again. You're hugely conscious that the minute you open your mouth and say the words, her world will come crashing down. You hesitate because you need to be absolutely, totally certain. I often turn the screen and show her, here's the heart. I'm really sorry, your baby's heart is not beating. There isn't any good way to tell her that news. It's devastating. All her hopes for her baby are gone. In that moment, you feel a massive weight of responsibility. When you're searching, she's anxious, worried, but generally okay. But when you confirm her worst fears, her life will have changed forever. And although you didn't make it happen and you can't change anything, you know that on one side, she's generally okay. And on the other side of your scan, she won't be. The news will be crushing. devastating. Then once we've broken the news we need a second person to scan, to confirm. Women find it often hard to believe. They want further scans and it's painful showing them again and again images of their baby but knowing that it's hopeless. Then we need to move on to the practicalities of the situation. Talking about inducing labour and birthing a dead baby. It can be incredibly hard for couples to grasp that we can't just do a caesarean. It's far better for the woman's health physically to give birth. It's much better for her in future if she wants to have another baby. Sometimes it can take days for us to get the labour going, putting her through pain, knowing there isn't joy on the other side, only emptiness. We tend to default to drugs and intervention epidural or opiate medication, anything to numb the physical and emotional pain. In contrast, I do know of a woman who decided, despite her baby's death, to treat it as a positive experience, a positive try of labour, and used a birthing pool. This challenged my assumptions. It's not something we usually consider, and it opened my eyes to the fact that such a positive outcome could come from such a negative time. The moment when the baby is finally born and there is silence, you can hear a pin drop. There's not a noise. The stillness is so incredibly sad and it's not infrequent for us as staff members to have tears falling. It's very difficult because it's not our baby, it's not our pain, but we do share in a couple's sadness. We have to keep professional. We have to be able to take a step back and look after them. But when you see that baby and you hold it and you give it to the parents, it's incredibly difficult not to be emotionally moved. And I think actually... You don't want to lose that, you need to keep that emotional content, that emotional connection with what's happening in that room. We encourage women and partners to hold their baby, make memories, have photos, handprints, footprints, casts. We have clothes and toys that the baby can wear or that the baby can go to the mortuary with mementos that women can take with them or can leave with us in the medical record and claim at a later point if they wish. Even the least religious couples often opt for some sort of ceremony or blessing, a naming with the hospital chaplain and we have a cold cot which means the baby's body can be preserved for a period of time so that Couples can spend time with their baby. It can be very difficult when we go into the room and undertake a medical review. The baby's probably lying in a cot. Before we go in, we check what's the name of the baby. We don't want to interrupt them with time of their baby. We might ask the baby's name, admire them just as if they were alive, comment on their hair, their delicate fingers something so perfect. At the same time, we need to then have very difficult and emotional conversations about post-mortem examination options. We have to discuss the benefits of post-mortem, which may give some explanation to couples as to what happened, but equally could reveal nothing. Sands, the stillbirth and neonatal death Association have worked very hard with the Human Tissue Authority to develop very detailed consent forms and consent advice following scandals in the 80s at Bristol and Alderhay, where they kept children's organs without consent. This means that parents receive extremely comprehensive information on which to make their decision, but it's difficult. We have to gain explicit consent for tissue samples, organ retention, genetic testing. It's very hard to talk in a compassionate way to couples at such a difficult time in their lives and to understand you're talking about their baby, all their hopes and dreams, being taken, medically examined, cut up, It's so hard to do in a tactful, compassionate way. Fortunately, they don't need to immediately make a decision. They have got time to think about it, and I think that's really helpful. A lot of couples do decide to go ahead, although some couples opt for a limited examination, perhaps an external examination of the baby only, or perhaps an examination of the placenta. And when I'm talking about stillbirth or baby loss, this can be any stage of pregnancy from 14 weeks upwards. So it may be that this was a baby extremely premature at an age where survival was impossible. And so... It was actually born alive, but subsequently died because there wasn't anything that we could do. Or it could be a baby that was much further through pregnancy, almost at the end, perhaps 39 weeks, almost at the due date, that the whole pregnancy had been straightforward and then suddenly catastrophe had happened. When I was doing the Nobody's Patient project, Maternity Experience project, we looked particularly at women with mid-trimester loss. That is women whose babies die before the age of viability, before 24 weeks, between 14 and 24. And I met an amazing woman, Catherine, of the Pinks and Blues who campaigns on hashtag fast loss, first and second trimester loss. She really opened my eyes to mid-trimester loss, the unfairness with which we treat women depending on the weeks of pregnancy. Partly that's the medical system. Before 18 weeks, perhaps giving birth on a gynaecology ward, very ill-suited to labour and time with a baby beyond 18 weeks, perhaps giving birth on a labour ward. Is that appropriate either? But it's not just the health system. It's society. At 22 weeks, if you have your baby, it's impossible for it to survive. But there's also no maternity leave. How are you supposed to pick up the pieces? You're more than halfway through your pregnancy. And yet you're supposed to move on as if nothing had happened. Sick leave or going back to work are what face you. And when we were doing that project, that sparked a poem written by my great friend Jill Phillips, which sums it up for me so well. I'll read it to you now. A proper person. I wish we could have registered our son's birth. It's as though somehow he was not worth anything. A few more days, so arbitrary, so cruel. Who made up such a stupid rule? Just a few silly days to make him official. But we can't. So it feels like he didn't properly exist, like he isn't acknowledged, ignored, dismissed, like nothing we have been through matters. If you say miscarriage, people assume it was early, but that's what we're expected to say. An unviable fetus, a piece of detritus, not a real baby but he would have been by the weekend. For me, that's incredibly poignant and something I really hadn't thought about. We have a bit more awareness now that we need to consider pregnancy loss at any stage as the loss of a baby. When a woman has a positive pregnancy test, she's already imagining in her mind her future life, her vision what that child might be like, what her future might hold. And knowing Catherine also helped me understand the difficulties of little things, casual social conversation. Do you have kids? A minefield. The difficulties in the era of social media, of rites of passage, the starting school photos, popular in September. Mother's Day, Father's Day, it's very difficult. Another amazing woman with whom I've had a lot of contact is Lee Kendall of Hugo's Legacy. Hugo, born very prematurely at 24 weeks due to her severe preeclampsia, died very sadly at just over a month old. And I'd known her for some time before we held the Nobody's Patient Workshop and I knew about her experiences and she talked to me so much about how she'd missed out on seeing Hugo and holding him when she herself was in intensive care but the thing that really hit me was when she brought out at a workshop the tiny treasured memories, his hat, how small, so precious really brought it home to me and she's done a lot of work campaigning trying to get understanding about neonatal death and the difficulty of that when you yourself are also extremely ill and how communication better communication and understanding could have made her experience much better. We're very lucky in my maternity unit now that we have a proper bereavement room, a room that is just off the labour ward, separate, a much more homey room, a double bed, a little kitchenette, a TV, a sofa, all the clinical things we need as well. But a space, a bigger space in which couples can have extended family spend time with their baby, have a much better experience away from the main busyness and crying babies of the maternity unit. But we haven't always had that, and I know many units don't have that. There continues to be quite a postcode lottery about what is available for bereaved parents within maternity units. What is available in terms of support from bereavement midwives or bereavement counselling afterwards in the aftermath? And then what about next pregnancy? I know some units are setting up rainbow clinics, so-called because they're to support women in a subsequent pregnancy after loss. We have a sticker on the front of the notes that identifies when a woman has had a stillbirth or neonatal death in the past so that we know and don't put our foot in it. Staff are sometimes worried about bringing up the history, feeling uncomfortable, worrying that they're going to upset the woman. But I've had women say to me, there isn't a day that goes by without me thinking of my baby. Say their name. Saying their name acknowledges they existed. They're part of my family. They always will be. And when I see women in my clinic through repeated pregnancies and still say the name of their baby that died, I sometimes get the response, oh, you remember him or her. It's really important. It's still their baby. Now for the zesty bit. We may not have the answers, We may say the wrong thing, but to say nothing is worse. Talk to people about their babies. Don't be frightened. Women do often want to talk about their baby and whatever precious times they had, however short. I knew someone whose baby boy died a few hours after birth and I sent the couple a card. In it, I congratulated them on such a beautiful baby boy and commiserated that they'd had such a brief time with him. At the time, my husband thought it wasn't appropriate, but the woman later said to me I was the only person that ever congratulated her and acknowledged his birth, and that he'd lived however briefly. So let women talk about their babies, refer to them by name, don't avoid it, don't hide away. I appreciate for some, this will have been a very difficult listen. You can find lots of support and I have included some links that may be helpful in today's programme notes. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. If you have, do like, subscribe or leave a review and join me again to explore more about the life of an NHS obstetrician. I'm finding it really exciting to have people listening and give me feedback about what they've found interesting. So please do recommend the ObsPod to other friends, colleagues or people who you think might find it interesting. I'd love it if you'd share with me what you've enjoyed about listening and if you've done anything differently as a result. I can be found on Twitter at fwmaternity and at the OBSPOD and please do check the Matexp hashtag hashtag M A T E X P and the website matexp.org.uk for more information and ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Finally, I'd like to reassure you that I take confidentiality very seriously and although I'm talking about experiences from my working life, I'm taking great pains to make sure that I anonymise the stories and talk in more general terms so that I keep confidentiality of my women I currently care for and have cared for in the past very safe. Many thanks for listening.